Rusty Quill presents. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Tonight's broadcast is brought to you by Minerva's delightful dirigible solution. Come one, come all to the grand exposition at Lanua Park. Sights and sounds and wonders abound in this wintertime wonderland. Come to see Minerva's Pavilion, where you can see all the solutions, old favorites, and some new sneak peeks, with wintertime gifts and raffles for prizes. What will Minerva bring you this year? And floating above it all, the Minerva's delightful dirigible solution. A one-of-a-kind rigid airship with lights floating above the exposition. This winter season, a handful of lucky winners will receive a golden ticket to ride Minerva's delightful dirigible solution over the exposition. Just bursting with solutions for the good girls and boys of Celine. Get your tickets today! Minerva's delightful dirigible solution. Save your regrets for tomorrow. Shiner came to on the cellar floor of the tannery house. His hot cheek pressed on the cold stone. His mouth and throat extended. A dark puddle before him. And a dead black worm parasite in its last throes of miserable life. Old Maul Dyer, Granny Tatters, hovered over him chanting, her bent walking stick shaking a string of crow bones and baby teeth. A rusty smear on her forehead, a mix of rotten beet juice, goat bile, and swan offal. Her eyes rolled back into her head, an exhausted sweat running the smear down her cheeks. Shiner was weak, his whole body sore, his left arm numb, and his lips blistered and raw. He used his right arm to push his body off the floor. Teddy Duncan, enjoying a cigar in the corner, his bracers slipped off his shoulders, tapping his fingers on the dark corduroy of his pants. A glimmer of his gold tooth grinned from the corner as he took to his feet to stand over the boy. Oh, boyo, I knew ye had the fight in ya. That's it, boyo, old Shiner, get to your feet. Shiner shifted to his knees and then to a wobbly upright. Steady, boy, steady on. Is that silly mug sight for sore eyes, I tell ya? Teddy clapped him on the back so hard he nearly knocked back down to the cobble. Muldire's eyes rolled back round. She blinked and stumbled and slumped back onto a footstool. Oh, Maul, you're worth your weight in pennies, that's for sure. Yar. You brought old Shiner back and rid him of that nasty worm you did. Shiner, the newsboy of Lanula Park, the raker of the Lethe River muck. He'd slept alone in a barrel, slept on an old sack near an outhouse even in a doorway in the cold on the streets of the sticks. He'd had the tar beaten out of him by his brothers, by street urchins, kicked by a mean needle, even chased by store owners and a ferocious dog or two. It had never really bothered him. For the first time, in all he could remember, 
Something scared him. For real scared him. A mean shiver took hold of him, and he crossed his arms over himself, glancing at the puddle of black goo and the dead worm. His inborn fright took over, and on all fours, he skittered onto the broken bed frame in the corner and hid in the dark of it like a frightened puppy. Oh, I know it's all a bit much there, but there is no need for all that, Shiner. Come out from under there. Right. Now I'm not going to give you a cuddle, boy. You know better than that. But come out here and we'll get you a kidney pie and a shandy and you get you on your feet again. Don't be shy. Old Maul ain't going to bite you. And that worm is good and dead now. And there ain't no more down here. Ugh. Shiner. Here, you see? I got this here penny. Go see Lucy the barmaid, and she'll let you bury your face in those big, comfy bosoms of hers, and you can pretend you're right back on Mama's teat. Sound good? I need you back on your feet, boyo. There is a terrible trolley guff for us to scour these fine days. That's it now. Come on out. That's it. Here you go. Shiner grabbed the coin. Now don't you go looking for that starling. The Minerva's sisters are ruthless. Maul sank from the exhaustion. There were marks on the floor. She'd been doing this for a while. A small pile of worn teddy bears, a doll or two, and some children's shoes. Thank you kindly, Maul. You're a great service to us here in the sticks. You can take your payment near the load door. The resurrection men are waiting for you. Willie and William, you can't miss them. You tell them I said you could take free at the little ones. Oh, don't look like that, Shiner. Old Granny Tatters has done right for the Duncans. She's never put on a hex on me, so as far as I can tell. She pulled more black worm parasites out of the sticks than I can count. She's just taken the fat from the little ones that didn't make it for her potions. She has her ways. We're no to judge. A lot has happened since you crawled out of them sewers, boyo. But all of mine are set back. They think they can go to war with us. We might be a simple folk, but I'm a mean hand at chess. They'll see... Now you on your way for that shandy and those bosoms. You can get some fresh duck air in them lungs and you can get yourself back to your stand slinging papers at the park. We need your eyes up there. And don't you dare go looking for that young starling's girly. She the one got you wrapped up in this mess in the first place. I hear about that. I just well stuffed that worm back in your gullet, boy. Shiner walked into the cold light of day. His eyes were dry and ached as if he'd held them open too long. A shandy in his stomach... A hot pasty in his hand. Shiner's gut rumbled, but his throat was so sore and tore up. He didn't think he could swallow a thing. He reached a finger into his mouth and jostled a loose tooth, but it didn't free from his jaw. Then the smell hit him. River mud had washed into the streets from a recent flood. Awful, burnt cinders from barricades and bedposts, and puddles of rancid water and piss. At his feet, a dark mare lay dead in the gutter, collapsed from exhaustion, her head facing him, staring back into his eyes, her belly bloated with gas from decomposition. The Duncans were meticulous about the sanitation of the sticks, and they were a proud people. Too many men wounded in the scuffle. Too many sick children from Pedigree's candy. Too many factory hours to catch up production from the strike. The men were stretched too thin to care for the animals, to clear the streets. Too busy to bring a crosscutter from the mill to saw the horse into pieces and cart it out of sight. Duncans had embargoed pencils and matches, and the city had diverted the food deliveries that flowed from the warehouses and train yards. The sticks was being starved. Shiner was weak, and his mother had not heard from him in how long. He'd not been able to provide her the wages from his papers, 
Had they pulled the parasite from Maud? Was she safe uptown? Where was Temperance? A rickety cart pulled up, and two muddy men jumped down. They pulled the large mill saw off the back. They laid the jagged teeth of the misery whip across the mare's extended belly, tossed their coats aside, rolled up their sleeves. They placed the saw somewhere near the middle of the beast, spit on their hands, and gave it a big, long draw, grunting as they moved back and forth through the body. Shiner looked into the mare's black, lifeless eye, the dead of it, the long-drawn face with a flat expression, powerless as the teeth cut through it. His own face reflected in that huge iris as the body shifted slightly. The dull gray of the clouds above, the chill setting into the air, the basket fires, the sick of the cigars the men were smoking, making jokes, the warmth of the flaky hand pie normally his favorite. Shiner couldn't break her gaze. Deep into the liquid, watery eye, he felt a dark swirl within himself, lost as the saw cut through the spine and hit the cobblestone. Incessantly loud sawing and hammering, lumber piles assembled around the swirling dark waters of the Black Pond. Temperance Fulcrum, daughter of the salt baron Cesarin Fulcrum, looked at the baby pink lacquer freshly applied to her fingernails in the pale light from the window overlooking the park. Her maid just finished a meticulous application, and the light was too dull to tell if they were petal pink or ballerina slipper pink like she'd requested. Temperance was fresh from a bath. Her skin still held the warmth from the water, wrapped in a silk robe, feet lotion and wrapped in cloth, and a wet braid in her bright blonde hair swaddled in a fluffy cotton towel with rose water dabbed on her wrists and neck. She scowled as she turned them, They seem more pearl than pink. They wouldn't go with her dress for dinner. Wrong color, incorrectly applied. The lady's maid hurried her kit out of the room, lest she be accosted by a hairbrush. Temperance could hear her mother, Agatha, talking on the telephone in the foyer. Hear her father tuning his coveted wireless in his study. Cesarin's beloved rapier returned to his rightful place. And Temperance, back at home upstairs... She'd been traded in a negotiation between the Duncans and the Uptown Consortium. Her father wanted her back. Temperance refused at first, but relented. Temperance placed his rapier back on its mount on the wall of his office. They hadn't spoke a word about it. Hadn't spoken the name of her sister Fanny. Hadn't spoken of the fires or the riots. Life had returned to its usual affair. Her mother Agatha's constant society dinners continued the entire time of Temperance's absence. And tonight was no different. The Walker sisters, Cornelia and Cooper Walker, had been invited to provide entertainment for the evening. And the guest of honor was Lillian Singh, the head of Celine's Botanical Society. Tonight's dinner was meant to secure the fulcrums an advanced viewing to what every resident of Celine had been murmuring about for weeks. As the Winter Palace rose in Lanula Park... Banners and streamers and garlands laced around trees and fences and light posts. The grand exposition would illuminate the icy black pond and the glass and ice sculptures dotting the walkways, leading to the central glass pavilion, the Winter Palace. And in the center of the Winter Palace, in defiance of nature and the season itself, the botanical hothouse with automated brass misting devices, powered heaters, and flocks of rare butterflies bred just for the exposition all keeping the lush and brilliant vegetation glowing 
through the snowfall and frigid nights. At the very center of that hothouse, the tropical solaria with bulbous yellow fruit trees, sweet dripping man-eaters, and thick rain leaves bigger than a horse. As the maze through the garden wound inward, at its termination, the centerpiece of the entire exposition, the majestic bloom herself, the morbid lady, Titanarum, the most demure of flora, the grand corpse flower. Maud Minerva rubbed the petals of a single flower, plucked and cut, wrapped in brown paper on her nightstand. Next to it, a small plate with a linen napkin and a simple water glass on it, half filled with tepid water, a bluish hue from the medicinal drops dissolved with a rapid stir. She graced her hand over the pulley knob at the wall, and the massive room-long curtains rolled back as she stepped from her bed. She wrapped herself with a massive bed cover from the giant Company M stamped on it and gold trimming. It followed her, gracing onto the floor as she smelled the flower and looked out the picture window that wrapped her corner room of Minerva's Tower in the center of Uptown. As she could see through the haze down to the streets, little things moving about down below. Stared out the same window she had her entire life, up in this penthouse, breath gathering on the window, little pinky drawings, racing raindrops down the glass, naming the clouds as they passed, making faces at the pigeons. Her Aunt Millie ran the business below, her entire life, the cooks, the kitchen, the tutors, the music room, all here in this high floor of this tall building. She'd been let out for a little while, after much begging and pleading. She trained as a starling and fell in love with her bicycle in the city and its sights, all but briefly. And now it was all away. After the Duncans and the escape, she was quickly gathered from the bridge during the fray and brought back here. Her bike still sits somewhere in the belly of Tannery House, no idea what happened to Shiner or Temperance. For a little while, the only friend she had other than her mother and aunt. Her mother's rooms were next door. Aunt Millie lived on her own floor. And the floor above was totally off limits. And always had been. Maud sipped at the glass, downing the blue liquid. The blisters on her lips almost totally healed. Right at the appointed time... Illumination stones brightened around the azure marble bathtub, cradled in the arms of Neptune. Two tiny dolphins turned to release hot water from the gaping mouth of a jovial grouper. Mermaids tilted a dish that dribbled a bath salt and soap mixture into the bath, turning the water a deep indigo, almost as dark as the black pond with a frothy layer of bubbles as the steamy water rose. Maud finished the glass of blue water and slowly slipped into the bath, felt a slight stirring within her stomach. She lost herself in the bubbles. She'd daydreamed a lot already, but more so now. The parasites affect everyone differently, they said. But this one was apparently feeding her dreams. Originally awoke something in her down in the sewers, and it wouldn't stop feeding it melancholy, like some distant sadness just out of reach, like a lost love she couldn't remember. She patted her belly, at least thinking that's where it might be, when her Aunt Millie suggested surgery, the doctors admitted they wouldn't know where to cut. The parasite seemed to freely roam the body, hiding from instruments and stethoscopes and finger taps. It was in there somewhere. She felt it moving from time to time. And it was a her. Maud had decided, and she had initially resisted the urge. But she named it Marietta. And she supposed it was too late now. Only way she could sleep to think of it as some kind of pet she rescued and brought home with her. Experiments had proven out that the heavily diluted blue lotus 
was the only way to keep the parasites dull enough once infected to not secrete their neurotoxin and still keep the victims somewhat lucid. So there they were, bobbing in the bathwater in lush bubbles together. Maud and Marietta. The diluted blue lotus elixir tickled her toes and tingled up her fingers to the tip of her nose and her lips. She sunk down into the warmth of the water, looking out the large picture window, the natural sadness of winter, the quiet of this high perch over the city, the thick glass muting the sounds from outside, her deliciously warm daydream broken by the sweet voice of her mother, Madeline. Maud? Are you alone? For a Lenny Penny? Come bask in the emerald green glow of a strange city lying alone. Join our Patreon for Selena Cleveland, and Minerva might just let you pick her next solution. Join our Patreon, and no one will ever ask you for anything ever again. And again, 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 and again.